Thank you, Ethan. Good morning, church. My name is Jeremy Beller, and I am glad to be home today. Uh, it has been a long summer. The elders have been very gracious to allow me to do some responsibilities with OC and to travel along. And uh, I've seen a lot of churches, met a lot of people, but there's no place like home. And uh, I am thrilled to be back at Wilshire today. So thank you for uh, the generosity and the opportunity to do some of that. Uh, we have a lot going on right now. Um, if you're around the OC orbit, school started last week, so that's that look of shock and fright on a lot of people's face. Uh, school has started. Has Oklahoma City school started? Yes, I could hear the excitement in the voice over there, <laughs> Barbara. That was strong. Um, I know Edmonds School starts this week along with uh, Oklahoma Christian Academy and so many others. So a lot going on there. A lot of people moving, relocating, things going on. We're joined this morning. Uh, I'm going to rat out a friend of mine. Rick and his wife, Christy Odell, are here. Rick and Christy are sitting back there by Jerry and Amanda. Uh, Rick has started OC as... Um, church resources. He's working to help connect OC and bless churches and help. And what's always fascinating me as you travel around and you meet people is connections you find you didn't realize you had. So uh, Bill Rice, Rick O'Dell, and Christy used to worship there at West Ark. Uh, Rick was youth minister there where Kent and Rachel worship. Um, so we're, we're glad that they're here today. Uh, I'm enjoying getting to work with Rick and getting to know him. Uh, I'm glad his wife is here to supervise him. He's kind of a interesting without supervision around, but Rick's doing important work, and I'm glad he's here. Uh, but as I said, there are a lot of things going on, uh, both here in our community and around the world. You guys have been watching the horrific news out of Hawaii uh, and so many of our neighbors, distant neighbors, suffering there. This morning, uh, our brothers and sisters at the Heritage Church are meeting, the Heritage Church of Christ on the north side of Edmond, and they lost one of their elders this past week playing baseball at a, uh, a church event, and he collapsed and passed away, and they are meeting today for the first time in that tragedy. Um, just a lot going on. So uh, before we get into the sermon this morning, I want to invite you to pray with me, uh, and then we'll open up to Mark's story. Father, it is, a be, it is a blessing to be with brothers and sisters today. It's a blessing to meet new brothers and sisters and to see how you are at work in this church and in other brothers and sisters' lives as they go about their work. And Father, we know that there are people hurting today. We know that uh, our brothers and sisters at the Heritage Church are suffering the loss of a faithful brother and elder. We pray that you'll give them comfort and Pray for Travis, their minister, that he will have words of peace and comfort in his ministry there today. Father, we pray for our neighbors in Hawaii who are suffering such devastating things, that peace will go there and people will be given what they need. Father, we have friends and fellow workers in Togo who have suffered significant loss in the last few weeks, and we pray for your peace and comfort there. Lord, all these things remind us of our desperate need for good news. And so today, as we open the story of Mark, 
and we read of Jesus, that you'll remind us of the good news of the gospel and the hope that is to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, Jim began a sermon series on the Gospel of John. And then a few minutes into the sermon series, he decided it was the Gospel of Mark. And you'll have to watch the tape if you didn't see it. But speaking is harder than it looks, and Jim makes it look so easy Sunday after Sunday. We are in the Gospel of Mark, so I want to invite you to join me in Mark chapter 2. That's not true. See, I just did the same thing. We're actually going to be in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. There, Jim, I did that just for you so you'd feel better. If someone asked you to tell the story of Jesus, where would you begin? Where in your life, your experience, your recollection, your understanding, where would you start this incredible story of Jesus. Well, Matthew, when he was confronted with that, guided by the Spirit, Matthew says, I know, let's start with this genealogy. Now, I realize that's not really exciting for most of us who get lost in the names of Matthew's genealogy. But if you want to make the point that Jesus is the promised Messiah, who is the son of Abraham and the son of David, it makes perfect sense to start with a genealogy. Luke says, you know what, I think I want to start my gospel by showing how Jesus comes from a family faithfully committed to the law and worship in the temple and even to this poor kind of outcast young lady who has to explain to her parents and her neighbors that she's pregnant but she's never been with a man. That ought to be an interesting start to the story. John says, I think we should start in the beginning. And in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's where John starts. And Mark starts in a place where he can get on with things. Mark is in a hurry because he wants you to understand who this is that we are dealing with. And last week, Jim walked through this idea that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That was a massive claim. It was a massive claim to the Jewish people who've been waiting for the fulfillment of this prophecy or this psalm in Psalm 2. It is a massive claim to the Roman world where where their leaders often claim to be sons of God. And Mark begins his gospel by saying, I'm telling you the story of Jesus who is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's where Mark begins. Now, some of you have heard me explain Mark this way, but I I always think of it and I always think it works. You've been to a play, you've been to some some sort of production, and you've got a dark stage and the house lights go down and there's a hush over the crowd, and then the spotlight hits center stage. And someone walks onto the stage to introduce you to the play. Our play takes place in the 1950s small town in Indiana. A young couple has a child after the war. And they walk you through the scenes and the scenarios, and you and I, who are attending that play, are oriented to what we're about to see. And then the narrator steps behind the curtain 
the lights go down, and then the play begins. You ever been to something like that? I think that's how Mark starts his story of Jesus. I think for the first 14, 15 verses, Mark, as the author of our story, walks out onto the page and he says, I'm about to tell you the story of Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Son of God. And this Jesus, who is Messiah, is the one we've read about in Isaiah and Micah. He's the one that John the Baptist showed up saying, there's one greater than me. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. And I'm going to tell you the story of this Jesus who was baptized and God himself said, this is my son. And that Jesus walked out and he said, the kingdom of God has arrived. And then Mark steps out of the page, and you begin to watch that story. The brilliant thing about the way Mark tells his story is he has invited you and me to sit in the good seats. Because as you and I read the story, we know exactly what's going on and exactly who we're dealing with. This is the Messiah. So that as we watch people try to grapple with Who is this? Where did this authority come from? What is he here to do? You and I get to watch them wrestle with that question all the while you and I know the answer. And I think that's the way Mark tells the story of Jesus. The reason I think that's going on and the reason I think that's important is because I want to show you two stories early in this story of Mark where this comes into play. And the first story is when Jesus arrives in Galilee. If you have your Bible, look at Mark chapter 1, verse 16. This is right after the introduction of Jesus. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately, as Jim and I go through Mark, underline that word. It's going to come up time and time again. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately, he called them and left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Does that story make very much sense to you? It doesn't to a lot of us. I mean, you see what's happening here? These guys, two sets of brothers, Peter, Andrew, James, John, out fishing, just another day in Galilee. Galilee's known for its fishing industry. You get fishermen, no big deal. And this person walks past them and says, Hey, leave everything you've ever worked for. Leave everything you've ever dreamed about. Leave your family, leave your business, leave your connections. Follow me. And Mark says, immediately, 
they do that. You know, every now and then I'll meet a couple, or when you're talking to someone, you're getting to know someone new, and you find out they're married. One of the things you, it's always interesting for me to do is just to learn the story of how they met. You know, where did you meet? How did you meet? How long did you date before you got engaged? How long between the moment you met and the moment you married, how long was that? Have you ever had these conversations with people? And have you ever been shocked when they tell you how quickly they met and married? I have some friends. They met and they were married, not just engaged. They met and they were married within four months. Does that seem like a good idea to you? Well, no. If you're going to give your life to someone, if you're going to commit to, to being their in this marriage relationship, and you're going to raise children, and you do what? This takes time, doesn't it? I mean, your mom and dad are going to want to know, what do you know about them? Uh, how long do they, how long have they been doing what they're doing? What are their plans in life? What do they, what do they hope? That's one of the things that makes this story in Mark chapter 1 so strange. They're fishermen. It's just another day. And Jesus walks by and he says, hey, follow me. I'll make you fish for men. And Mark says, immediately, they did it. Now, we could cheat and maybe make ourselves feel a little better by saying, if you turn over to the Gospel of John and you read John chapter 2, you'll find out that Andrew had actually been a disciple of John. And so John had talked about Jesus. And this isn't the first time they've ever seen or met Jesus. And in our Bible classes, we try to talk this through and help ourselves feel better about this immediate reaction. But listen, Mark doesn't tell you that story. Mark says Jesus walks by, says, follow me, and they leave everything and they follow Jesus. Why? Well, I told you that Mark has invited us to sit in the good seats. And you and I know from reading Mark chapter 1, before this, that this person walking along the sea, calling out to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and saying, follow me, is not just some rabbi, not just some teacher. This is the Son of the living God. And if the Son of the living God says, follow me, what do you do? Follow him. You don't say, I need to make some arrangements. I need to take care of some things. I need to get some things in order. Let me, let me kind of do an investigative background of your situation, where you're from, what you stand for, and what you believe. Mark says, this is the Son of God. And if Jesus calls you to follow him, you follow him now. You see, that's one reason I think Matthew tells you the story, Mark tells you the story the way he does. Mark says Jesus shows up and begins preaching the kingdom of God. And if Mark were writing the way Matthew writes, Matthew would say, now let's pause for a minute and let me explain kingdom of God. Let me give you a sermon about the kingdom of God. Mark doesn't do that. 
Mark says Jesus is here to proclaim the kingdom of God and he invites you to follow along. What are you going to do? You see, one of the things that's happening in this first story of Mark is we're getting a picture of the urgency and the immediacy of discipleship. You cannot follow Jesus halfway. Let me say that again. You cannot follow Jesus halfway. If he is Jesus the Christ, if he is the Son of God, if he is, as John said, mightier than John, if he is the one whom the very voice of God spoke to at his baptism, you are my son. When he calls you, you follow. And Mark is telling the story of Jesus in a way to ask you, are you following him? Do you know who this is? I know that that as we read stories like this, we try to think through and rationalize our discipleship. And, And Luke will tell a story when he tells the story about counting the cost. And that's important. But Mark wants us to think in our busy world, in our busy time, in all the competing things for our attention, how much attention does the voice of the Son of God get? How much commitment does Jesus, the Son of God, get from us? Your job is important. Your family is important. Your education is important. But when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says, follow me, how important is that voice? That's one reason Mark begins his gospel here. Now, I told you I'm going to tell you two stories, and the second one comes immediately after this in Mark. And I love this, because again, if Mark were writing like Matthew, Mark would say, now let's, uh, Matthew would say, now let's pause for a minute and let me give you the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters explaining the kingdom of God and life in the kingdom of God and what it looks like to live in God's kingdom. Mark doesn't do that. Mark says Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God, invites people to follow, and then he says, let me show you what this is going to look like. And here's what it looks like. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, crying with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were amazed 
And they kept on asking one to another, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. I don't know how much time transpired between come follow me and they went to Capernaum on the next Sabbath. It's within a week. And at least the way Mark tells the story, this is the disciples' first encounter to what this discipleship is going to look like. You ever been invited to join something to go somewhere to participate in something and you're not fully sure what you're getting into you ever started a job and thought oh this is going to be great and 10 months into it you think this is not what i expected thank you david you ever found yourself looking around and saying what is this and in my mind that's what's happening in Mark chapter 1. The disciples have been called, come follow me. Okay. And they go to the synagogue, and it's just another synagogue day there in Capernaum. And as is kind of the custom, you have the attendant of the synagogue, one of the elders, who invites someone to speak that day, or to give an encouragement, or a reading, or a word. And it just so happens our New teacher here has been invited to speak. And so Jesus is exhorting the congregation and he's encouraging the people of the law of God and what it means to follow. And you're probably feeling pretty good about this discipleship thing. He seems smart. He knows the law. And then right in the middle of his presentation, the craziest freakiest, scariest thing happens. This man in the middle of the synagogue stands up and he is screeching. And he's yelling, what are you doing here? I know who you are. What do you come to do with us? Push pause and ask yourself, have you ever seen this before? How would you react in a situation like this? You'd probably look around and say, where are the deacons at? Isn't this why we have deacons? And in the middle of that presentation of this exhortation, the first time in worship with their new teacher, he says, get out of here. And he rebuked him. Be quiet. And it happened. They have never in their life seen anything like this. Even before the weird demonic situation, the way he was teaching, they'd never heard anything like that. They'd heard scribes and Pharisees and leaders talk and and ramble on and read text and quote this rabbi and that rabbi. They'd never seen someone like Jesus who just spoke as if he himself is the voice of God. But this, this man stands up and this man shouts out and this man 
seems to attack him, and he is unfazed and unworried, and he says, be quiet and get out. And the man is quiet, and the demons get out. And the people, Mark says, are astonished. Who wouldn't be? There's a lot going on in this text that has to do with Mark's broader meaning. It's interesting to note that Jesus is not just a wonder worker. Jesus does miracles, but that's not why he's here. He's come here to teach about the kingdom and reign of God. And the miracles are a demonstration of that, but Jesus isn't some circus show passing through town just doing neat tricks. He is an embodiment of what God's rule and reign looks like. And it's interesting to me that this demon-possessed man speaks in the plural. What have you to do with us? You know what I think is going on? Right out of the gate, Jesus' first ministry in public. And Mark is saying, what we have here is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the devil. And when Jesus shows up in that synagogue, it's on. And when the demons hear the voice of Jesus speak, the demons are scared to death. And I think that this demonic person, this demon-possessed man, is not just voicing what this one demon has to say. I think this demon is voicing all of hell's questions. What have you come to do with us? You see, the ministry of Jesus is not just some small territorial dispute. It's not just some skirmish on what religious traditions we should follow or not follow. It is the kingdom of God invading earth and taking over everything. And that all unfolds in this synagogue on their first journey out with their new teacher. Would you have been amazed? Jim talked last week about something that I've thought a lot about, that we've grown up listening to people talk about the gospel and the good news, and we hear that so much that we lose track of just how good it is. Everybody knows if you go to church, what does the word gospel mean? Well, the word gospel means good news. It's from the Greek word euangelion. See, we can even impress our friends. Are you convinced that it's good news? When people listen to us talk about what it means to be a Christian, when people listen to us talk about the church, when people listen to us talk about our discipleship, does it sound like good news? Because I promise you what these people heard in this synagogue on this Sabbath day was not routine. It was not just another Sabbath with another message and another guest speaker. 
It was the voice of God announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. And I don't think they ever forgot that day. The way Mark tells the story is so interesting because you and I are in the the good seats. And as you follow the gospel of Mark and the way Mark tells the story of Jesus, you're going to notice something. You and I know who this is. Because we read chapter 1. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, greater than John. God himself said, this is my son. But as we watch the story of Mark unfold, you're going to hear people asking questions like this crowd did. What is this? What kind of authority is this? But you know who never ask questions in the Gospel of Mark? You know who's never in doubt about the identity of Jesus? The demons. We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. That's pretty remarkable. Satan knows what he's up against with Jesus and the kingdom of God. Do we? So I just want to leave you with this. Back to this first story. It seems rather strange that out of nowhere, at least to Peter, James, and John and the way Mark tells the story, they're out there fishing, doing what they do every day. And Jesus walks by and Jesus says, follow me. Now let's just imagine for a moment. You and I were standing on the seashore. And Peter, James, and John look up and they see you. And they say, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? Haven't you already started following him? Can we talk to you for just a minute? Jesus, we'll be back. We just want to do a little background. And they ask you, What have you seen? What have you heard? What have you experienced? Should we follow or not? What would you say? Immediately, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. I want to invite you to do exactly what they did this morning. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one of whom John said he's greater than me, and the one of whom the very voice of God declared, this is my Son. If you believe that, may I suggest the only logical thing to do when he invites you to follow is to follow. If we can help you begin that journey this morning, we invite you to come while we stand and sing together.